This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Uh, I can't believe how bad I am about uh, making podcasts. And I also can't believe how like fast the time goes by. It's like we're in a weird time warp where time goes seems to be going by slow but then you turn around and you're like oh look it's six weeks later and I haven't posted a podcast and also I couldn't find my voice recorder for a while um and it makes it harder to record on the road um so yeah but here we go I've got about 40 minutes I might have to pause and drive through a drive through to get a snack because I was on the road this afternoon for some farm calls and now I have to go work in the ER for a little bit um and I'm gonna be hungry so I might have to pause for a second but I'm gonna continue the discussion about uh milk and mammary glands part two we'll see where we get i have notes from last time that i didn't get to and i'll probably be winging it just a little bit and see where it goes uh so this time my intention is to talk first first time first episode um kind of recapping for myself here talked about like the composition of milk um, and casein proteins um, and uh, how that differs in goats and cows Um, and in this episode my intention is to talk a little bit more about anatomy and physiology so like what how milk is produced on a like cellular level um, what the part like what the anatomy like it is really like the crazy intersection of anatomy and physiology like milk production it's hard to talk about one without talking about the other. So that's where I'm going to try to go with that. I'll do a quick little like update of life slash recap here. But um, I think Devin and I, uh, at the end of this week, today is Monday, uh, and I hope I will post this before the end of the week but at the, uh, this is like Thanksgiving week too so um, at the end of the week Devin and I are supposed to take a little bit of a road trip to deliver some goats to Vermont um, is the plan on Saturday so I'm probably going to like force him to do like some Instagram Q&A type stuff and uh, we'll probably record a Tales from the Farm episode uh, during that and um what else to say about a quick update um life has been crazy um we're like scrambling to get ourselves um kind of the farm buttoned up before winter um once this group of goats leaves hopefully this coming weekend that's the plan i keep saying hopefully because i don't (laughs) I, i need to get all my paperwork from adga for everybody to be registered for for transport and sale um and uh, they, they emailed me and they said it's on the way because they're awesome. So um, we should be good to go on Saturday. Uh, and, you know, we're not doing a big family Thanksgiving thing. Thanks, COVID. We're staying home. Um, and 
yeah, trying to get the farm all buttoned up. When these goats go, we're going to have a big shift of goat kids to different uh, buildings on the farm. And, like, the keeper doe kids will be coming up into the milking barn. Uh, and, yeah, we've been breeding pretty actively since the beginning of, well, since late October. We started breeding late October, so we're breeding late this year. Um, but we got a good chunk of does bred this month in November, so we're going to have a really active April kidding season in 2021. Uh, we are just a little like apprehensive about the upheaval of the world, well, of the United States. Wanted to see how that all kind of was playing out before committing to roughly 90 to 100 goat kids in the in the spring. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what else? Um, yeah, we've been putting up buildings. We'll do a whole farm update probably on Saturday. It's like a three-hour one-way trip to Vermont. So that will be our deal. And, yeah. Um, the Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I occasionally remember to go over to Apple Podcasts and see like, oh, look, people have rated and reviewed. And I actually just got like a, an email today um, from a like a some kind of looking for a survey. And I, Go Talk with the Goat Doc is in the top 60 of Apple Podcasts for whatever category I'm in. And I can't remember what category I'm in. I think it's like science and medicine or something like that. But that's kind of cool. Thanks, you guys. Um, and thank you for rating and reviewing and sharing with your friends and coming over and seeing what I'm up to on Instagram where I've been kind of bad about it. Um, I've got to do, I've got to do a truck tour on Instagram. I said I would do that, but it's the weather, like it was pouring rain today, been super busy, worked a lot of shifts at the ER recently, but that looks like hopefully it's going to calm down because one of our vets is going to be back. Um, if you want to come say hi on the internet, you can find the website at goatdoc.com. You can find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc. Uh, you can follow on Twitter at goatdoccara. Um, you can shoot me an email at goatdoccara at gmail.com. And... I've got to do patron shout-outs, and I don't have a list of Patreon patrons in front of me because there's been some new Patreon patrons who are awesome, and um, i got to give them shout-outs, but I'm so, like, I need an intern. <laughs> I need a, a professional organizer for my life um, to help me keep track of all this stuff, but, yeah. Um, I think... Yeah, so if you want to say hi, find out, find me on the internet. Um, and I think we'll disclaim that this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinary and client-patient relationship with your local vet. So, anatomy and physiology, milk and mammaries. Um, so mammaries, you know, we talked about them. They're mammal things that make milk. Um, and they're glands. So what are glands? There are, um, glands are like clumps of cells in the body that produce stuff. So there's different kinds of 
glands. There's like sweat glands and there's mammary glands, which produce milk. Um, and there's uh, sebaceous. I, I feel like I'm. There's a different word to talk about sebaceous glands, but there's glands that make like oil, um, like skin oil. So then they produce like sebaceous sebum. Um, and then there's like um, those are those are like secretory glands that make a substance that. Um, usually goes outside of the body so also like salivary glands are glands um and then there's the whole like endocrine side of glands so that's like your adrenal gland and your thyroid gland and like those things i'm not going to talk about those things right now those things make hormones um we've talked about hormones before <laughs> in some of the repro um pineal glands and like you know all of those things um endocrinology is complicated. We're not going to talk about it right now. We're going to talk about mammary glands. So glands are like they make something. They're clumps of cells that make something. Um, and in this case, they make milk. Um, Oh, mucus, like, so, yeah, that's another one. Sorry, just kind of skimming my notes here. Exocrine glands, less complicated stuff is made. Sweat, milk, and sebum. So, endocrine inside the body, exocrine outside the body. So, exocrine glands, the ones that make sweat, milk, sebum, uh, like, lipid, sebaceous stuff, um and mucus like those are all things that are outside of the body or at like an interface of where some kind of uh like the body touches the inside of the body touches the outside world that makes sense so like a a mucocutaneous junction um yeah so uh the stuff is dumped out of out into the world with exocrine glands. Um, so this is going to be like the part where it's like, how do we talk about anatomy and physiology um, and like combine it together? Because I personally feel like glandular production, like exocrine glands producing stuff is very like, it, you know, it works on a cellular level um, but then it works on like a macro level too so like a like a gross level where like you can see milk it's coming out <laughs> and how does how does that work so we talked about like what the stuff is that's in milk and I guess we'll start we'll start there so like the milk is produced by these glandular cells um, glandular cells for exocrine secretion are um like they're arranged in a in a way so that the the cells have what we call an apical surface so that's like a top surface um and it's almost like a little a little i almost think of a a, like a mammary gland like a tree because you have to go from this cellular level to like the teat orifice level and the teat so that's like the opening of the teat um, where the milk comes out and that's like the trunk of the tree and then if you go all the way out to you go, you know, if you got the trunk of the tree, then you got like the main branches, and you got smaller branches, and you got like twigs, and then you got leaves, and then you've got little, um, 
you know, veins in the leaves. That's like the, um, where you're at, where it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like the, the leaves are photosynthesizing the mammary glands, the mammary, uh, glandular cells are making milk. So you've got these cells and they kind of like line up in a row or like more, you know, we see them in a row when we look at them in a microscope because we're really looking at like a slice of, um, a, a, you know, we're looking at a two-dimensional uh, sliver of a three-dimensional subject. So the, like the, it's like a, a, you know, a round globular thing, but then if you slice through it, you're going to see like a circle. And when it, what you have in that circle is like the cells, uh, the apical region are going around this like opening where they're putting stuff out into that space, which then like all those, um, those little cells are all next to each other. And the little, the little trickle of like this one little globule of glandular, uh, mammary milk producing cells making this tiny like microscopic amount of milk but then you have millions of these glandular cells producing milk and makes like these tiny little trickles into like a big you know filling up the mammary gland um, so it can be milked or nursed on and uh so that's like it's that little you know all the little tiny drops of it coming together to make you know in a cow to make like eight gallons of milk at, a, at in 12 hours or in a goat like you know depending on your goat and the size and breed of your goat you know anywhere from like a quart to a gallon of milk in 12 hours and that's like that's pretty crazy like milk you know we talked about it's high energy it's the perfect food for infant mammals and um it's a pretty amazing thing to take the stuff that's in the bloodstream and the the mammary glandular cells take it they take out what they need the stuff comes into the cells from little like little transporters in the cell membrane and then there's proteins and enzymes within the um within that that glandular cell that's like okay I need this I need calcium I need fat I need some proteins I need all this stuff and then I'm going to make it into these little vesicles um so a vesicle is like a um a little bubble in the um within the cell so it's like this little this little packet of milk <laughs> in the cell it's like tiniest tiniest amount um and then the cell transports that vesicle to the apical surface of the glandular cell and spits it out into uh the like the where the milk is going through so, so like that milk flow that ultimately ends up in the in the teat cistern and coming into the outside world that's where it comes from now there's two different ways and this is important to talk about because this like there's reasons to be aware of some of this stuff or at least have an understanding because it's helpful when you own goats because goats are not small cows um Exocrine glands can um, produce whatever they're producing by two different types of uh, secretion. There's apocrine secretion and there's maracrine secretion. 
and goats produce milk by apocrine secretion and the difference has to do with those little packages those little vesicles of milk um, that are produced within the cell and then they go out and they bleb out through the the apical surface of the cell and bleb I'm like 99% sure I learned that word in vet school in uh, histopath Uh, so that's like a legit science word Um, and like it's a word that's like exactly like it sounds it's a little bleb it's a little bubble it's a little like bleb usually with stuff in it Um, and the um so the the little the little bleb is produced in the cell and then apocrine secretion versus merocrine secretion has to do with how it's released out into the stream there so if you think about that a bleb so think about a bleb like a bubble and the bubble is within the cell kind of recap again here the cellular the the glandular cell of the mammary gland has taken the stuff that it needs to make milk it's fats it's calcium it's the stuff that it needs to make infant nutrition um, and it's putting it together in this little package in this little bubble in this vesicle and then it's going to transport it to the apical surface so the top of the cell the surface of the cell that is eventually going to become the stream of milk that is going to come to the outside world the apocrine secretion is what goats do, and merocrine secretion is what cows do in terms of milk. And I couldn't tell you about other stuff right now, like is sweat, merocrine, or apocrine. I, I think it's apocrine, but I don't really remember. I don't really care right now. We're talking about milk. Um, but the, the goats being apocrine... Um, the way that they secrete milk is that little vesicle comes to the surface of the cell and it remains a little vesicle. It doesn't um, become, it doesn't just, the cell doesn't just like merge the vesicle with the cellular surface um, and like release just the contents of the vesicle into the stream it releases it gets the whole vesicle out there so it's kind of like kind of like blowing a bubble so when you blow a bubble you know the bubble pinches off and uh, closes behind itself so that that's kind of the idea there um, the it's got the the milk that's being secreted still has that kind of little membrane around it um which i can't remember what episode we talked about like phospholipids was it the last episode um where you have like a, a phospholipid layer where one side is um lipophilic and has a hydrophilic tail hydrophobic tail hydrophilic head makes a line makes a circle Um, that whole circle with the milk contents goes out into the stream so apocrine secretion releases that bubble of milk and it's just like all these tiny little microscopic bubbles which is a liquid basically and on the way out like it's very likely that a good number of those um like little blebs of milk little vesicles of milk just rupture um and that's fine um because all that is in the that um that's creating the vesicle is like that you know 
phospholipid layer, so no big deal. Um, very simple molecules, um, and it creates this liquid. Um, and so then maracrine secretion is... Um, it's almost like picture like blowing a bubble in reverse so if a bubble came up to the bubble membrane and then it just merged with the membrane and then the air that was inside that bubble that came up and merged now is just part of the air on the other side so that's how cows do it merocrine secretion where the the vesicle blebs up to the top of its uh, glandular cell and instead of going through completely it um it just kind of merges and the stuff just the inside stuff of the vesicle goes out into the the milk stream not uh the not the whole bleb so and why that's important and interesting in terms of um like goats not being small cows and like milk secretion for um, goats versus cows is because like a lot of the stuff in the United States that we do for milk is based on cows. So I think about stuff called like somatic cell count, for example. Well, this is, this is like the big one that's important about apocrine versus maracrine. And, um, it matters because like it depends counting somatic cell count depends it depends on how you count your somatic cells now a bleb could look like a cell so somatic cells when you do a somatic cell count and you're looking for evidence of inflammation or infection and evidence of inflammation or infection um, could be would be mastitis so mast being the uh mammatory mammary gland and itis being um, the inflammation and the um, so mastitis just means all that mastitis means is inflammation of the mammary gland doesn't necessarily mean there's infection you can have inflammation without infection you can have infection without inflammation so um we'll talk i'll have a whole episode on mastitis and maybe Devin and i'll record that on the way to vermont um because it'll be fun to have his perspective as a producer um, so mastitis, inflammation of the mammary gland, and inflammation, you know, signified by an increased white cell count. And usually, like, typically, you know, neutrophils, which are, like, kind of the first responders in, in response to inflammation and infection. Um, and... Uh, like how so we look for that we look for evidence of inflammation or infection because we want to be drinking milk that is free from those things and this is where like crazy people that are like no we're the only species of animal that drinks milk of other species and we shouldn't do that and it's abnormal and you know you're there's pus in your milk because there's white cells in your milk and that's just like silliness um the a very low number of white blood cells in milk is normal. Um, the um, but the interesting thing about cows versus goats, and this is why, like, if you are a dairy producer or your goats are on milk test, 
Um, like cow dairies get a premium for their milk when it is has a lower somatic cell count. Um, they get a they get a better price per hundred weight of milk when there's a lower somatic cell count because it's just an incentive to do better. And um, but the the goat threshold for somatic cell count is higher because goats can have perfectly clean and healthy milk and end up with a higher somatic cell count. And part of the reason that can be is how um, somatic cell count is counted. So it can be counted, I don't think many people are really doing it manually, um, but it can be counted by, um, you know, by like taking a sample and looking at a representative sample and counting the cells and then doing some math and figuring out how many somatic cells per milliliter do you have um it can be uh read by like a an analyzer machine so analyzer machines that count cells do it in different ways they can they usually like add dyes and use lights and all kinds of interesting stuff where and that shoots the the substance so like we use blood analyzers so um like uh, cell blood cell analyzers in the clinic all the time it counts how many red blood cells how many white blood cells what kind of white blood cells are they are there platelets what's going on same idea except with milk so is this in it's some of those analyzers may count blebs and not cells the difference in the cell is like there's DNA, there's a nucleus, it's there for a reason. If there's more of those there than should be, then we are, are looking for a problem. But it's like, if the machine is just looking for a shadow, like a bleb, a cell, a, a, you couldn't, if like, if you got a bleb, you got two blebs and you could just see a shadow of them, for example. So if it's like analyzing them by light or whatever, um, and it's just counting blebs it's like a bleb doesn't differentiate between a bleb and a cell um then it's going to count them all and then a, a goat would have a high somatic cell count because it's not differentiating because it's set up for cows where cows shouldn't have blebs they should only have cells so that's the importance of knowing like understanding the difference in like milk secretion for um goats versus cows and I'll talk more about somatic cell count in maybe the next episode when we talk about uh, mastitis okay so I've had a little bit of an ordeal while I was recording on the road uh, my voice recorder ran out of space and it was dark while I was driving so I couldn't uh, figure out what I could delete and what I couldn't delete. And that was a pain. So now I'm actually sitting at the computer to record the rest of this podcast episode. And instead of vehicle background noise, you might hear Satchmo snoring, or you might hear Devin walking around upstairs and shrink wrapping the windows because it is so cold out today and the wind is just howling. So you might hear that too. And you might hear the old house furnace going on. But anyway, we're at kind of a good spot to start to talk about um, like the how the physiology plays into the anatomy. Um, we have our apocrine secretion of milk in goats, and the cells are all putting their little tiny bits of milk that they're uh, excreting out of the apical surface of the cell into 
the ducts. So the, 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 if I recall correctly, the smallest duct in the whole system is called the lactiferous duct. And that's just like where the, the smallest, it's like we're out, we're out at the little tips of the leaves and now we're getting into like the veins of the leaves and those veins kind of get bigger and bigger and they start to go towards the stems and the branches and the whole thing kind of collects into a bigger and bigger place until we finally get to the trunk, um, where everything comes out. So, we have your lactiferous ducts that take the smallest amount of milk and they kind of branch together and uh, get bigger uh, and they come to collecting ducts and then the collecting ducts come to what's called the gland cistern. So the gland cistern is the the part of the udder that's still like up in the udder. You're still in the like rounder part of the udder. You're not in the teat yet. Uh, the gland cistern look you know there's some really interesting uh photos of like uh like post-mortem photos or uh, histology photos that you can see online i'll try to post some uh on instagram probably to kind of share what it looks like um, but this is where you can get also get a lot of variation in uh, just like mammary texture and mammary shape and how the udder feels when it's full of milk and how the udder milks down. Um, and it's just variation in like how, how these animals make their udders, basically how they make their mammary glands. Um, and you can, when you see how it works, you can really like kind of understand it more, I think. So I will post some pictures on Instagram. Um, and so the biggest milk holding area in was still within the mammary, like the udder itself before the teat is called the gland cistern. The gland cistern is separated from the teat by what's called an annular ring. So the annular ring is this um, like band of tissue that uh, it's like a, a ring of, of tissue that is vascular tissue. So vascular just means that there's blood vessels there. Um, and that kind of is like a ring around the teat base that when the vessels are full of blood, that, um, that tissue kind of holds off the milk up in the teat, in the gland cistern, excuse me. Um, so the, the idea there is that that annular ring, when it's, when it's closed, when it's in like vascular engorged with blood, um, it and I say engorged with blood, like it's not, you know, you're not going to see a difference when it like outside of the udder, you might feel a difference depending on how your dough has or udder put together. Um, but the, the annular ring, um, just hold, like tries to hold the milk up in that gland cistern because when it's up in there, there's like more, uh, protection for the milk from the outside world. So like milk is a tasty, tasty substance, uh, for infant mammals, but also for bacteria and any other kind of organism that would want something, a nice, easy source of glucose to chow down on. So by keeping the bulk of the milk up in that gland cistern, the body is kind of like protecting it and protecting itself from outside invaders. Uh, when, like to, to you, you want to stimulate milk letdown uh, for 
for the milk to be let out of the gland cistern past the annular ring and into the teat cistern. So the teat cistern is just like where if you ever have hand milked a goat or a cow, um, you know, your whole, you kind of, at least I kind of hold off the base of the teat uh, just at the annular ring or just below it and then squeeze the teat downwards to express the milk. Um, and you got to like open up that annular ring though. So that can be done by, it's stimulated by um, the release of oxytocin. How do you release oxytocin? Oxytocin is like the milk letdown hormone. It's like the happy love hormone. Um, it's the bonding hormone that makes the dough or whatever other uh, mother mammal uh, be attached to her offspring. And, um, it also stimulates milk letdown. So we want to let the milk down out of that teat cistern, past, or excuse me, out of that gland cistern, past the annular ring into the teat. So it either can be nursed by a baby or it can be milked by us so we can do amazing things with it. Um, the oxytocin loosens up that annular ring so milk can flow past it and the milk goes into the teat cistern. Um, and then the, the other thing that's protecting the inside of the udder is the um, the sphincter of the teat. So that uh, the and the the other thing is, is there's also what's called the streak canal there. So the streak canal and the the sphincter of the teat is like the last little bit that holds the milk in, um, and it's you know milk get gets out past it by suction, or if the udder is over full, um, things like that. Um, I think, I mean, I think that kind of makes sense as far as anatomy. Um, I, when I was recording before, I don't think I said this, I think it got cut off because my recorder got full. Um, when you look at the, the pictures and kind of understand the anatomy of the udder, um, you can really start to see how you can get, particularly in goats, I find um, you can get a lot of just anatomical variation. There's huge anatomical variation in udders in goats, um, partly because, you know, we have a huge size range in goats, you know, I mean, I guess there's some degree of that too in uh, dairy cattle, but um, more in goats, you know, we got like Nigerian dwarf goats, we've got pygmy goats, we've got big old alpines and Nubians, and there are breed characteristics, I find, um, in my experience, for for different, different goats. And um, then there's also, you know, like utter... There's like an, an utter standard, which if you look at like the linear appraisal standards from the American Dairy Goat Association, you know, there's like, what does the ideal utter look like? And some of those things, I, in my personal opinion, are very universal from breed to breed, from animal to animal. There are things that you strive for if you're looking for a high producing dairy animal um, that's going to have good longevity and produce milk for you for, you know, a good number of years. Uh, she, but then there's, there's also things that are like personal preference. Like for example, Devin and I have very different personal preference about what kind of teats we prefer to milk. Um, you don't see this level of variation in the cow dairy industry, uh, because it's just that like, 
the cow dairy industry is almost universally milked on milking machines. The big dairies are almost exclusively on uh, parlors that are almost fully automated. So the more uniform and consistent udders and teats can be in those animals, the better performing those things are like the better the way those things are going to function and perform. So um, we don't have that in our dairy goat industry. We have a lot of people who are hand milking. We have some people who prefer, you know, small teats that are narrow. We have people that prefer like wider base teats that are long. Um, There's just huge variation. There's a lot of personal preference um, in utter utter size and shape and teat size and shape. Um, and then don't even like, that's just in like American goats. If you get into like European and Middle Eastern goats, there's also just huge variation there too. Um, but yeah. And there's, I think there's also a difference in like, you know, what do goat kids prefer to nurse on? And then what do we prefer to milk on? Like if we're milking on a milking machine, it's a lot easier to milk, you know, teats that are very medially placed and uh, have a a more narrow base of attachment versus what do goat kids like? So it's all, it's all, uh, it's huge variation there. Um, But when you see what the what the texture of this tissue looks like and have an understanding of it. Um, It also helps to, I think, understand why we can get things like downstream from problems with the udder. So from trauma to the udder, from mastitis, from infection, um, different things like that, which we will talk about in the next episode. Um, so I think that's going to do it for now. I'm going to hopefully edit this episode. So this talking part isn't way quieter than the truck part and it sounds okay. Um, and we'll have a farm update coming soon and, uh, an episode we'll talk, Devin and I will talk about, we'll probably talk about like proper milking technique and, uh, maybe some mastitis stuff there and yeah we'll have a good hopefully long drive on saturday coming up so we can do that uh i think that is going to do it for the moment i will talk to you guys next time